You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, the official podcast of FlashOfSteel.com. I am your host, Troy Goodfellow, and with me today is a much smaller panel than last week's full slate. We have freelance writer Tom Chick. Hello, everyone. If anybody in the course of this podcast would like a coffee, let me know, and I'll run into the kitchen and get you one. And that is the only panelist we have. So it's me and Tom again, uh, which I'm kind of sorry to have because, you know, Tom will just run away with things again, as he often does. Uh, have, have a good weekend, Tom? Uh, yes, I did. Uh, it, uh, I, I had quite a good weekend. Um, a lot of non-strategy gaming, though, uh, and some strategy gaming. I wish we could talk about Troy, you and me, and Bruce have been having a hell of a time, literally, haha, <laughs> with Solium Infernum. Oh, my God, I'm, I'm so enamored of that. Uh, and I can't wait until, I guess it's next week when we're talking to Vic about it? Uh, the week after. The week after, okay. Yeah. To, yes, uh, for the last uh, couple of few days, actually, Tom, uh, Bruce, and I have been trying to make heads or tails out of Solium Infernum, and now I realize I made some pretty bone-stupid decisions <laughs> in the early going, so I'm kind of screwed as far as this game is concerned. Uh, but there's a lot of interesting design stuff going on, and in two weeks' time, we will have Vic Davis to speak to us about SI. Uh, listeners of the podcast may know that Vic was our first guest on the very first episode of Three Moves Ahead, in what has now become known as the Lost Episode of Three Moves Ahead, since it was so terrible, uh, we nuked it from orbit. But we look forward to having him on the show in a couple of weeks' time. But this week, we have another guest, uh, a guest I'm very excited about. He's done some work on some of my very favorite uh, games, and he has a new game coming out uh, later this week. We have with us uh, Bob Smith from Nitronium Studios. Bob, thank you for joining us. Nice to be here. So, Bob, why don't you tell our listeners uh, some of your experiences, how long you've been in the business, and what, where they may recognize your name from, because Nitronium probably means nothing to anybody. No offense. Yeah, it, it's Entronium. There's not actually an N in there. Okay. I wanted to call, I wanted to call it Neutronium, but, but someone had taken that web name already, so <laughs> I had to abbreviate it a bit. All right. No, but I've, I've, I've been doing... Strategy games, war games for a very long time. My my first game came out in 1983. Uh, I did a lot of uh, war games back in the 80s, and mostly on, on the Sinclair Spectrum, so they were only available in Europe. Uh, American listeners won't remember them. Uh, well, and then later on, sorry. Go ahead. And then late, later on, I did a game called Armada 2525, which was one of the, the early Space Empire-type games. And uh, then, then I had a little diversion into doing some console game stuff, a little bit of 3D hardware design. And after that, I went on to, to work on the Total War games. And I worked on all the games from Shogun through to Medieval Total War 2. And then after that, I started Entronium and uh, working on the new game, Armada 2526. Which we're here to talk about uh, in quite a bit of detail, uh, 2526. It's, as I told, as I said earlier, uh, in an email conversation, this is a sequel that's been 18 years in the making, uh, 2525, 2526. The first one was in... Uh, 1991, uh, which is two years before Master of Orion. Uh, 
uh, even though if you could take a look at them, you can see a lot of superficial similarities. Yeah, there's, there's, there's been a, a, a rich lineage of, of uh, these sort of games. You know, Armada 25-25 certainly wasn't the first. Right. Uh, and it, in fact, it, uh, its inspiration came from a, a board game, the old Avalon Hill Stellar Crusade game. You know, we thought it'd be cool to have a version to play on the computer, which is <laughs> how it started off. That's how a lot of games started off uh, back in that time period. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you know, it's it's good now to have a have a chance to to revisit it. It the old twenty five twenty five had a <clears throat> slightly different feel to a lot of the games that that came after. It was. Uh, I think the play mechanics were a lot more streamlined and there was more focus on, on military strategy rather than the economic micromanagement. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's something I, I've tried to, to, to keep with the new game. So it, it, it focused on having streamlined game, game mechanic. You can go through most of your turns fairly easily, you know, you watch your message queue, see if anything's uh, finished moving or anything's finished building and, and if nothing's happened, you, you know, maybe you can just click click end turn and carry on um, so the, 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 the emphasis is on, on building up your empire, planning where you want to go to, where you're going to make your population centres who you're going to make peace with, who you're going to make war with. When you get to, to the war stage, about planning your strategy, how you're going to deploy your fleets. Uh, and all that that's done on uh, a turn-based star map. Um, and, and then when you get to have a battle, it changes to a, a real-time 3D battle. Um, which is not to say it's a game very much aimed at strategy gamers, so the, although the battles are real-time, they're not sort of a click-fest type thing. Uh, your ships are organized into to squadrons, so you don't have to control individual sh- ships. Um, and uh, one of the unique things about the game is is that the in, in the battles, ground combat and air combat are integrated, mm-hmm. so you have sort of play, plan where you're plane where your fleets clash, the planet isn't below, and you've got your marines and hover tanks and militias battling it out with the ground defenses. It's uh, very similar to the way the Total War games are designed. You have the turn-based strategic map, and then you have this real-time tactical map, which is entirely optional. Yeah. um, Obviously, I affected Total War, and and Total Wars affected me. (laughs) So perhaps, perhaps no coincidence there, but it was it's yeah it follows on from the uh, the work I've done from Total War, but um, you know it was also the way things were going in back in Armada twenty five twenty five, right? Although in that game you already had a very moderate amount of control over the battles. I just found out today, before we talk more about 2526, confirmed today in our test call that you are, in fact, responsible for one of my uh, favorite toy box games of all time, uh, Encyclopedia of War Ancient Battles, a game that readers of Flash of Steel know that I have a bit of, uh, quite a bit of fondness for. I've had some critical words for it. I don't think it's aged very well. Uh, but I've, uh, I've 
written about the game in many ways. It's a great miniature toolbox set. Uh, and that was with CSS, I believe, correct? That's right. Um, yeah, I'm, oh, I used, used to be a very keen ancient miniatures gamer. Um, so so that, that game came out of that a bit. Uh, and it, it was not, not really a widely known game, but uh, it had some very uh, colorful graphics, you know, and for its, for its day it, it depicted uh, ancient warriors in, in quite nice detail. And, and they sort of, uh, I can't remember which year it came out. It's like 1988. 88, 89. Yeah, yeah. somewhere in there. Yeah, so. Uh, do you miniature? Yeah. Any, do you still miniature or? Um, not for a few years. Don't really have any opposition. Uh, you know, the places I've been live, living recently. Um, but you know, it's still something something that, that I, I'm interested in. I, I think I'll go back to again, and I'm still very interested in, in ancient history. Right. I'd love so to see an update of that. Go ahead, Tom. Uh, before we jump into some more about Armada 2526, Bob, uh, I noticed you just mentioned you said you don't have a lot of opposition in the places you've been living recently. Uh, tell us where you live now. Um, my my new studio is in Bangkok in Thailand. And um, how on earth is it that an indie developer ends up with a studio who sounds? Uh, I'm sorry, you're English or Australian? I, I confuse the two. I, I'm English. Um, so how is it that an English indie developer ends up founding a studio in Thailand? Well, I arrived here via Australia, where I was working on uh, on medieval Total War Two. And you know a lot, of, lot of, lot of uh, companies are setting up uh, studios in China these days for the, mm-hmm. um, the reduced development cost. So basically, I've outsourced myself. <laughs> uh, and and you know in Thailand you've got the same sort of advantages. Uh, the computer animation is an area that the government is promoting. Um, so there are quite a few training programs here, and uh, and and so know, is Armada twenty five twenty six a a sort of like a a garage project where it's pretty much just you at home, or do you, do you have a, a full blown studio? Tell us about the development uh, behind twenty five twenty six. Um, it's. I have a small studio. We have we have a we have an office, and I have uh, three artists who work with me. Mm-hmm. And some of the sound source was some of the sound stuff was outsourced, and, and some of it was licensed. And just for our listeners, so uh, you, you're being published by Matrix Games. Is there uh, is there a deadline? Is there a date for when we should expect twenty five twenty six to be released yet, or is that to be determined? Um. The answer is very, very soon. Um, I can't give you the exact date because it's, it depends on um, on retail shelf space. Mm-hmm. And um, now uh, we've... If uh, you watch go, our sorry, secret video, it says, says by the end of the month. Ah, oh, well, that's good. That's very, very soon. Okay. Well, and I was very surprised to notice, too, Bob, you provided us a beta to play with. 
And when that happens, I kind of roll my eyes because there's there's placeholder in it and it doesn't quite work. But I was very pleasantly surprised. This is a pretty full featured beta, so uh, I, I'm surprised. So I'm not surprised, I guess, to see that the game's coming out by the end of the month. It seems like you guys have already done a lot of the uh, heavy lifting uh, for it. Yeah, I've had a group of testers working with me for I don't know. I can't remember how long now. <laughs> Seems, seems so, like a, seems like a long, probably about two months. So uh, you know they've they, they've helped me get it into shape. So let, let's talk a little bit about some of the specifics in twenty five twenty six. First of all, I'd, I'd like to ask you: uh, this is a, a fairly well established genre, the science fiction four X uh, strategy game. You know, we've got the Master of Orion games. Uh, we've had the Galactic Civilizations games. Uh, there's a, a game called Sword of the Stars. Uh, this is, in a way, a it's not a crowded space, but it's a very competitive space in that there are games that have a, a, a very devoted following, and you're asking those players to play your game now. So what would you tell them if they want to know what you offer that is different from what they're already playing? The... You know, it 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 it, uh, it is very very uh, popular genre. Um, I think what what's Armada is diff- different in two ways. As I said it focuses on trying to roll back the trend towards more and more detail and micromanagement and obsessing over the 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 stats of your ships. And okay, I understand there are some people who enjoy doing those things, but there are some people who like a, uh, a faster, more streamlined game. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, that's probably the, the most important thing from, from your, the point of view of your hardcore game players. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second thing, of course, is the real-time battles, which give you some some great eye candy, and and you you know you get to see your fleet in action, and and your marines duking it out, mm-hmm. and you know that just sort of really brings the whole thing to life. So, well, what brought you back uh, to Space Forex? I mean, you've been doing when you're Creative Assembly, you are doing almost entirely historical strategy games there. Uh, actually, entirely historical strategy games. And now you're going back to something you haven't touched in 20 years. Uh, what's the desire to go back to that? What's the motivation? Especially since, as Tom says, we had, I mean, this past couple of years, we've had, you know, Sins of a Solar Empire. We've had just in uh, the last couple of months, we had AI Wars. This is a, not exactly a place that is full of new ideas, though it's full of a lot of creativity. Well, Armada 2525 was the last game that I did as a, an independent production. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if you remove the hiatus for working for other people, um, you know, it just sort of follows along. And, you know, it, I, I really enjoy playing Armada 2525. I used to play, played a lot multiplayer. Uh, so it's something you know I've been wanting to come back to for a long time, and and you know finally I've had the opportunity. 
So uh, going back to some of the game design about 2526, uh, I'd like to ask you, Bob, about a, a couple of things that you've done in this game that sort of leapt out at me when I was playing the, the preview build. Um, as far as the, uh, the, the economic model of how you build up your colonies, uh, I, I noticed that each colony can have multiple build queues. Like normally in a game like Civilization or Galactic Civilizations, you build, uh, you have one build queue for uh, your your buildings on the planet, and then another build queue maybe for ships. But one of the th- cool things you do is you let the planet use a slot to create either like a colonist workshop or heavy, medium, or light industry, and then that structure gets like its own build queue. Uh, th- so that's something that's unique that I really like that you did. Uh, where you can have these huge industrialized planets making multiple things at once. Um. Yeah, that's that's the thing. It's about, you know, it becomes an important strategic uh, decision where you're going to put your infrastructure. And and you, you can, if you want, you know, you can build up your ship slowly and have a sort of large fleet in being, but not, not have much capacity to expand it quickly or you, you can focus and you can build up your infrastructure and build up your, your shipyards and then when you do need a fleet you, you've got the ability to, to assemble it quickly mm-hmm. uh, and another thing I quite liked Bob was uh, the way you handle the tech tree uh, a huge component in a, in a sci-fi game like this is, uh, is, is the, the unfolding technology, you know, learning new weapons and new shields and basically new toys to play with. That's what these games are kind of ultimately about. And because you've got the tactical battles in there, the toys are that much more important because you get to see them in action and you get to sort of play with them. So the way you do your tech tree is the tech is developed into, I think, about eight different uh, groups. You know, you've got like, I think, uh, uh, weapons, shields, hyperspace, biology, um, but one of the things you do that I don't think I've seen before is you let the player build dedicated research facilities so that they can emphasize one branch or another. You're sort of encouraging uh, optimization in, you know, you're sort of forcing the player to build in relation to what he wants to research. Uh, I, I quite like that idea, those dedicated labs. Yeah, and the, the idea there is, is to try to get each, each player or race in the game to to have different technological capabilities mm-hmm. uh, and that, go ahead so the, the the AI you know each time will each time you play it will pick different strategies so you, you never know entirely what sort of mix of weapons it's going to have when when you clash with it and and the the, the tech tree you know, it, it has your sort of usual military hardware type stuff, but there's also a couple of, of more unusual things. There's a there's a whole section on psychic warfare, so you, you may go into a battle and, and, you know, and you can count the ships and see your ships are bigger than theirs and you can feel good about it. And then they start fleeing before the psychic attacks. And there's, a, there's another section on uh, biological warfare. Now tell us how... Go ahead. I was going to say, the, the other thing that, that I, I've done with the, the tech tree, which is different from some games that have come out recently, is, is try to concentrate on, uh, on quality rather than, quali- uh, than quantity. 
you know, some of these games sort of boil down to how long your tech tree is. Uh, this this game, I tried tried to make it so that, that every tech represents some, something real and tangible. It's not just a stepping stone to to something else. You don't have to research four things before you actually get anything real. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and there, there are one or two places where you, you, you just go up in levels, but, but by and large, you know, each tech is, is something different and gives you a unique capability rather than just being an incremental improvement on the, on the one before. Mm-hmm. So there are games out there that can, you know, say they've got more slots on their te- tech tree, but uh, I think if you count the, the interesting, interesting things on the tech tree, then I think uh, 25, 26 stacks up pretty well. Now tell us a bit about how you uh, uh, distinguish the different races. Um, a, a lot of, uh, well, different games have different approaches for how to make races feel distinct from each other. Uh, how did you do that? And can you tell us about some of your specific non-human races and how they play differently? Yeah, the, there, are, there are 12 different races in the game. Um, I haven't gone too far down the path of trying to make them play differently in, in that the, one of the design goals of the game is that, you know, as we talked about the tech tree, that, that of itself forces players down different routes. So the, the, uh, the different races aren't hard-coded that they have to take a particular route, but, but some of them have... Uh, you know, propensities for uh, for certain routes. So, for instance, we have uh, the Kwa Kwa, who, uh, they're kind of unusual, and they have part of their consciousness in hyperspace. So, as you, you kind of expect, they get some advantages in hyperspace research, and uh, some of their initial ships are a bit faster than, than other players. Um... Who else have we got? There's this xenophobic race that uh, attacks you in quite a bit. Uh, what what are they called? Oh yeah, they're the the clergu. Right, the clergu. I hate them. <laughs> they hate you too. <laughs> <laughs> they they don't play yeah, so nice. You, you can't negotiate with them. Uh, so why have a race like that that you really can't do much with except attack uh, in a campaign? They're, they're your stereotypical bad guys. Um, and when, when you play the full campaign, they get, uh, they get victory points for, uh, well, for killing aliens. By, by fair means or foul, foul, so they can just turn turn up and shoot you, or they can spread viruses and uh, wipe you out that way. Well, Bob, you've actually so this this raises a question for me. Uh, since they get victory points for killing aliens, is that one of the way that you distinguish the different races? Do different races have victory different victory conditions? Yeah, there are there are certainly two two ways to win the game. Obviously, you can you can build the dominant galactic empire. And which case there's not much point arguing whether you won or not, um, or you you can try and accumulate victory points, and they're they're different for for each race. 
So we talked about the, the clergy who get uh, victory points for killing aliens. Um, other, other races get them for building up their population and depending on the, on the race, how happy that population is might or might not matter and they might be able to so for instance if you're the humans you're, you're trying to build up sort of stereotypical good guy federation so you get points for whatever races in your empire are in your empire but but you need to take care of how happy they are as well um, whereas other races are maybe don't care about don't count get points for having aliens in their empire or maybe they don't care about how happy they are uh, and then you've got the, the Lincoln, which are these sort of vaguely cat-like warrior people, um, and they get most of their victory victory points from uh, getting glorious victories in battle. So I have to say, so that, Bob, I think you're you're selling yourself short because that to me sounds like a, a tremendous uh, a gameplay gimmick that I, that that makes me definitely want to play. I mean, the fact that. Different races have different ways to amass victory points. I think that's a great idea, and that's a great way to sort of introduce sort of asymmetry and different playing styles. Uh, that I think that's a very exciting feature and deserves a big old fat bullet point. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it is a great idea. It's not my idea. <laughs> <laughs> do, do, do you want to give credit to the person whose idea it was? Yeah, it's uh, you know Mike Simpson, who's the, who's the main designer for Total War. So it uh, the idea sort of stems from something we did in the original medieval Total War, where it was called Glorious Achievements. Mm-hmm. You know, some some people like to play these games, you know, to to sort of go for the jugular and all-out rapid conquest. Um, a lot a lot of people like to sort of role-play them a lot, though. And you know they don't don't attack unless they're attacked. Um, so that this victory point scheme, you know, gives them a way to uh, to see how well they're doing, and and how how they're doing is is judged by the uh, you know the criterion that their own race would apply. Uh, another thing that I really liked, Bob, was uh, in in the research options uh, as far as buildings, you can build a structure called a skunk works. And the skunk works reminds me of the awesome blind research option from the old Master of Orion games where you didn't know what you were getting. So with the skunk works, you develop something at half price, but you can't control what it is. So it's this great little bonus where it's basically dumping cheaper techs into your lap, but you don't know what they're going to be. so I, lo- I love that little that little tweak as well. Yeah, I mean, sort of. You never know where it's going to take you, um, and, and if it turns up something uh, tasty, that you know, then you can start building some labs in that area and, and go with it. So I'm curious about two things. Uh, first of all, uh, what do you do in this game? The maps can be huge. Mm-hmm. You know, a player can control easily. Uh, 20 or 30 colonies during the end game. Uh, what do you do to handle uh, micromanagement? So uh, tell us a bit about how you streamline the end game in the tradition of Armada 2525. Uh, how does Armada 2526 handle late game micromanagement? Uh, there are 
a few ways. Um, one thing is, is that you're, you're never going to have enough money that you're building stuff everywhere all the time. Right. So you're only going to have a few centers of production that, that you have to handle. And a lot of your places will be colonies that don't build anything but just harvest taxes or their mining outposts. Uh, and, then, and unless you have to build up some defenses there, you don't have to worry about them too much. Uh, if you want to use it, there's, uh, you know, there's a there's a full-featured auto-management system for the for each colony. Uh, the 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 tech is also designed to to bring things to a conclusion, and that the the top the top end techs allow you to 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 uh, to act very decisively, if if you have all the top, the, uh, the top the top techs, you can assemble a huge fleet, instantly teleport it to any point on the map, and bombard whatever you find there with asteroids till it gives up. So so when, when, if you can get that edge, you, you you can destroy your opposition pretty quickly. Um, so and, that, and that's intentional to, to to stop the game sort of dragging on at the end. Uh, one thing I, the first thing you mentioned, how you, not every colony is going to be useful and productive. It's something it took me a while to get used to because in games like this, traditionally, I didn't, I didn't say they weren't useful. Well, yeah, well, they're not, they're useful <laughs> as they say, their their population, their taxation, but they're not always building something. They're citizens you have to protect, but they're not always contributing to the war effort beyond money. And that's some that's a a mindset I really had to get into and break away from because traditionally you want to have every in a game like this you want every city or every colony every planet to be doing something making a ship making a fort uh not just you know paying their tithe to the king and i think there's a really interesting way of keeping uh i think i mean civ 4 moved somewhat along that line by saying look not every city has to have a library in it okay guys uh and i think this moves even further down that direction by focusing your efforts and saying, look, some people are just there to pay your taxes. Not everybody's going to have – some colonies are going to be useless. Some planets are not going to have a big population. Don't worry about them all that much. Grab those planets before somebody else does, and that's pretty much what they're there for, to stake a claim, it seems, more than as uh, what you would traditionally see as the purpose of a space colony in a Forex game. And I really love that uh, – that little mind tweak, uh, that adjustment that I had to make. Yeah, and I, it feeds into your strategy as well. You've got to you've got to think about which planets are your important production right. centers. Um, and obviously, you want them to be well protected. Yeah. But if you put them too far back, you know, then then it takes you a long time to get your forces to the front. Right. Uh, you put them too far forward, then then obviously you're vulnerable and your fleet's tied to them, protecting them. Um, and then this this is the sort of strategies that that I'm trying to make players think about in this game. So tell us, Bob, about your real time strategy about the the, the battle sections. Um, it's the part I've seen the least of, but I can imagine later in the game you mentioned, for instance, the psychic tech tree. Uh, there's a there's a lot of rich detail here. Uh, 
how involved is the player during these battles? Is he firing off different powers? Is all of that automated? Or is the player's role just moving the ships around? Uh, tell us a bit about how a later, more advanced battle plays out uh, according to your real-time strategy interface. Yeah, it, 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 is, it is in real time. Um, it, it's not really like your traditional RTS, though. It's, it, it's not really a game about frantic clicking. Um, so your ships are all arranged in, into squadrons, so... You know, you so you've got maybe ten groups to to control, um, uh, and at the beginning the computer arranges those for you. But you can you can rearrange them if you want to. Uh, and in in terms of micromanagement or the firing of the the ships is all automated. So you just direct them where you want to go, or which enemy group you want them to attack. Um, and and the, the you know you do you do have your different weapons to to take account of uh, and the the two you know the two driving mechanics are concentration of force see if you can concentrate your forces that's good but it means that they're vulnerable to missiles and and um, you know you take a lot of splash damage. Um, and also, outflanking is good as well. It's like crossing the T in naval warfare. You get to concentrate all your fire on the uh, the end ship, and that goes down pretty quickly. And you you move into uh, onto the next one. Do you sort of use naval combat as a as a model? Not not consciously. It's uh, it's kind of the way it came out. It, it that's actually true works, of a lot of space works. games. Go ahead. Sorry. It works, it works better than, than than it does with battleships, actually. And that, you know, if, if you're doing a naval battle and you're crossing your, the T, you're 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 travelling perpendicular to your target. Whereas most of the ships in this game have forward-firing weaponry, so you're you're actually travelling along the line, bringing the next one into range each time. Uh, does facing is facing something that you control in in the the real time strategy battles? Not directly, no. Okay. Um, uh, now with, with you're, I'm you're sorry, controlling uh, squadrons of ships rather than individual ships. Um, you can peel off individual ships and control them if you want to. Um, now I notice you can pause the battle at any time. It's not you're not expecting the player to have to think or even operate in real time with that pause button. Uh, so with the pause button, can you give orders? Yes, you can. Okay, that's awesome. Now, so then tell me then, it's pretty straightforward in a situation like this where you've got ships and they have their weapons and you tell them whom to attack. Uh, how do things like the psychic abilities? And the ground warfare come into play during the real time. If, if there's any ground warfare going on, going on then that's uh, it's all happens happening simultaneously with the air battle. Um, so when when you fire up the battle, uh, most battles take place, you know, at, at a colony. So you see you see the planet, and the planet might have various orbital defence. Platforms and then on the uh, ground there are missile silos and there are uh, militias formed from the planet's population and then sort of lined up above them as the defending fleet. 
and then the the attacker sort of comes in from the other side. Uh, if you've got ground forces, they're carried in uh, special assault ships, and you know when when you feel the time is right, you you click the button to launch, and, and they're getting the landing pods and go down to the planet. Um, and they'll battle the militias there, and they'll battle the ground defences. Uh, the game is set up in such a way that, that ground forces are, are very effective against um, the missiles and things on the ground. So if you've got a, if you've got a heavily defended planet, um, okay, you, you can take it out using your fleet, but you can take a lot of casualties, so it might be a lot more effective to send in a ground force. And the, uh, and the ships, the ships overhead can can uh, perform ground support to intervene in the ground combat. And all of this, it's on a, it's a two D, it's basically a two D display, right? It's sort of like an overhead view with the planet right in the middle and the ships flying around uh, on the map. Like it basically plays on a two D plane, correct? Yeah, it's all it's all rendered in three D, um, right? And you, you can switch to various. Um, camera views to get a, a 3D uh, view of the action um, but most, most of the action is, is confined to a, a plane um, mm-hmm. it's, it's well, basically it gets very confusing if you allow things to, uh, to happen in, uh, sure. in completely 3D right. and, and there are mechanical problems uh, you know, if, there's, if there's no preferred play, plane how do you know what point in space that you've clicked on with your mouse Right. Um, and you, uh, there's a time limit on the real-time battles, is that correct? There is. They're quite short. Um, so compared compared to, say, Total War, the, the battles are a lot shorter. Um, it's a little bit in the nature of, of um, sort of space warfare that some of the battles will be a bit one-sided, and so they're they're kind of short, and there are various ways to speed them up as well. When you've decided you're going to win, um, but the thing is, with with the uh, time limit, uh, if the time limit expires, you don't lose. You just stay there, and another turn happens on the strategy map, and and maybe some reinforcements come in, and then battle resumes on the next turn. Mm-hmm. Ah, I like that. Nice. Uh, can you tell us a bit about some of the cool things at the upper end of the tech tree? For instance, you pointed out that one of the unique selling points of Armada 2526 is uh, the player doesn't have to, for instance, build his own ships. And some players like that, but some players might enjoy this more uh, predetermined progression of when you get cool ships and what they do. Each ship seems to have a particular role and be a little more special, uh, rather than you're just you're putting level two lasers on your new ship. You know, it's uh, it's more like the the Merlin has its own particular place and it comes into play and it, it occupies a distinct slot in the overall balance of things. So, can you tell us a little bit about some of the higher end toys uh, that players get as they play with the tech tree? Like, for instance, I think there are there there aircraft or uh, uh, carrier ships. Is that correct? Yep. Uh, uh uh, they kind of kind of look a bit like aircraft carriers too, and that, and they launch fighters and they go off and you know and generally do what fighters do and be annoying. Um, <laughs> and yeah, you know, the useful thing about those is that the fighter losses regenerate 
automatically. Uh, mm-hmm. So having a carrier force is a great way to, to protect your fleets by have it, taking the losses on your, uh, on your fighters. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, an, there's another sort of carrier ship which is called the Star Castle, which is a specific to, uh, to, to one of the races called the Ancient Race of Machines. Um, basically, they're a sort of race of eccentric robots. Is there any other kind? So <laughs> well, you know, they're psychotic killer robots. <laughs> um, so the, the Arom, they're, they're, uh, they're actually quite sort of technologically conservative because they don't want to be superseded. Um, and, and one of the fun ships is this Star Castle, which is kind of this Baroque sort of castle spaceship with sort of towers and spires, and uh, it has some huge guns on it, and it has its own complement of fighters. Um, and there are some some special ships that you can only uh, construct at neutron stars that uh, ah. incorporate neutronium into their 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 hull and weapons, and they're actually the uh, the most powerful ships in the game. But uh, there are only a very nice small number of neutron stars, and they tend not to have very nice planets. So if you want to get these ships, then uh, you know you have to make a firm strategic decision to to do so and secure yourself a neutron star and put in a fair amount of resources. Uh, to, to build it up into a production base, mm-hmm. and of course, then becomes a target for uh, people who would prefer that you don't have these ships. Right. So, uh, what can I say about how multiplayer uh, works in the game? Uh, at release, it's uh, it's only going to have hot seat. Um, it was a bit of a, d- a disappointment. Uh, not have have uh, multiplayer, but thing is, we know from Total War that ninety percent of people, you know, never even register to pay multiplayer once. So uh, they made the decision to to concentrate on on making the the best single player game pers- possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the actual game system was was designed to work well for for multiplayer. Uh, the turn-based part of the game features simultaneous movement, so everybody plots their, their orders. Uh, and then they're all executed simultaneously, so you never know quite what's going to happen. Uh, Bob, it sounds like it's a very short leap then to uh, a feature that Troy and I quite enjoy, and I know there are several people out there like us, and that's play-by-email. Uh, if you can play Hot Seat... Couldn't you then play your turn, save the game, send the saved game to someone else, and that way have a play-by-email game? Is that a feature that you either support or intend to support? Um, it's not. It's not explicitly supported at the moment. Um, as you say, it wouldn't be. Uh, it wouldn't be such a big big leap, and if there's a demand to to do that sort of thing, then then. Uh, I'd certainly be open to it. What if the demand is just me and Tom? 
Um, <laughs> yeah, consider the level of well, demand right now at least two people. So <laughs> probably the threshold's a little bit higher than that. <laughs> what, what if we were to get Bruce Garrick on board and have him demand it as well? Would three do it? <laughs> Seriously though, Bob, that's uh, uh, I, I like that you're emphasizing single player. It seems like yeah. it's built primarily as a rich single player experience with diplomacy and the alien races and whatnot. Uh, and I hope that down the road, play by email is something that you guys can maybe spare some resources for. Uh, but I, I like your emphasis. Yeah, and, you know, as a sort of small studio, one of the things I want to do is, is, is to, you know, once people start playing the game, is to, to see where the players want to go with it. And, you know, if, if play by email is one of the things people want, then that's what they get. They want something else, they'll get something different. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, do you want to uh, tell us how you ended up publishing with Matrix? I mean, you've worked Creative Assembly for a very long time. You struck out on your own. Uh, how did you find Matrix? Or how did Matrix find you? Um, I, I talked talked to them a little bit about it a long time ago um, when I was looking for some money. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, but they, uh, we actually got together very recently, and that they, uh, when I was actually looking for beta players, uh, beta testers on the internet, they they saw my advertisement and uh, you know got in touch, and decided that they wanted to to try and get it into the shops for the holiday season. So it's it's kind of nice to have someone do the the publicity stuff. So there, there is going to be a box retail release, which is... There is, yes. That's kind of a rarity for a game like this these days. At least, yes. over, well, at least in the U.S. it is. Uh, um, well, I would say it is, it is still a very popular genre. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Stardock games sell in huge numbers. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it. It will be popular enough to support our box release. Um, so I hope it it will be in stores. You know, either the end of this month or the start of the next one. Right. And of course, it'll be available for digital download from the the usual sources too. Well, uh, great. Uh, any last questions, Tom? Oh, no, Bob, I, I, uh, I like the basic idea of what you're doing. I'm looking forward to uh, getting to spend some more time with it, uh, and I, I wish you the best of luck. It's nice to see more of these kinds of games coming out. Yes. Uh, thank you. Uh, I want to remind our listeners that next week is our listener uh, question show. So please email any questions you might have to me at troy.goodfellow at gmail.com. Uh, questions are starting to trickle in. We probably have enough for a show, but I'd like a little bit more, a few more, so I have uh, many to choose from. You're sending some good questions, so keep it up. And if you've already sent, don't be afraid to send just one question. You can send in more than one, and I'll pick your best ones. And in two weeks, Time once again, we will have uh, Vic Davis, to the maker of last uh, sorry 2007's best independent strategy game, Armageddon Empires, to try to explain Solium Infernum to me and why I suck at it. 
You know, uh, Troy, it comes with a manual. Just, just, just point of. I, I know. Uh, I've, 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 I've read the manual. The manual is of no use to me because it doesn't have enough pictures <laughs> or a tutorial. Uh, plus, I was just too excited to play it, and I didn't read it too carefully until I was already dead. Um, but uh, Bob, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Bob. Oh, thank you for having me. Say good night, everyone. Good night, all. <laughs>